My name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to episode number 31 of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast, featuring my conversation with musician Drew McManus of Satsang. Yeah, you know, I think the biggest takeaway of that that epic psilocybin journey that kind of started the whole thing was... Uh, that's kind of my the mantra for my life is that this thing has happened for me and not to me that it was the first time I went well maybe this incredible hardship and trauma happened to prepare me for this grand rest of my life again I think that's what's so magical about psychedelics is they zoom out and they go no it's happening for you and with you not to you so you get to be a part of this dance rather than a collision all of the time you know and, and like you're saying, I just think psychedelics are such a shortcut where it's like, there's no, to me, that's why I always go back to them is because there's this veil of bullshit that just gets pulled off. Like there's no hiding from yourself in that experience. It's like those medicines are going to show you who you are, whether you want them to or not. And the only answer to that problem, um, for me, the only thing that makes that great fear during that experience subside is okay well i guess i'll work on that past the place we think we're from and past the edge of the earth that we have come to call it back and i've known this since my birth that we are not from here visitors to this place but we all go back home they're intertwined and locked in time And at times it takes the low Because we've met ourselves before Take me to this place I wanna know more than I know right now Set me free from pain That was a song called This Place by Satsang, also featuring Trevor Hall off of their new album titled All Right Now. In this conversation, I drop in with lead singer of Satsang, Drew McManus. 
And I have been such a fan of Satsang's music for so many years now. So it was such a pleasure to get to drop in with Drew and get to know the man behind the music and how psychedelics and sacred plant medicines have influenced his journey. In this conversation, Drew shares about some recent messages he received from Ayahuasca. We talk about psychedelics, creativity, inspiration, what it means to dedicate ourselves to our purpose with discipline and devotion, yet with levity, lightheartedness, and a good sense of humor. Drew shares his upbringing in an abusive household and the journey of rewriting the narrative of trauma. And we talk about how plant medicines can help us reframe these deeply challenging experiences from this narrative that they are happening to us into a new narrative that they happen for us. Drew shares his perspective on these times of division, and he shares some challenging experiences that he recently went through online and how the answer to these times is to come back to a place of kindness, compassion, and non-judgment. And before we dive into this conversation, I want to give a shout out to Del Jolly from Unlimited Sciences, which is a nonprofit organization helping to fund psilocybin research in collaboration with Johns Hopkins. And Dell and their team put together a circle of influencers to help spread awareness about the need for psychedelic research. And this is how I met Drew, through the monthly gatherings that Unlimited Sciences host for the members of the circle. And I feel very honored to have been invited to join that group. And I've been just so fortunate to connect with some amazing people in the circle, including former UFC champion Rashad Evans, who I also feature on the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. Okay, so all of the music for this episode is by Satsang, and I'll include a link to each of the songs that I feature woven throughout this conversation in the show notes. And one of their older albums called The Story of You that was released back, gosh, I think it was 2017 now, is definitely embedded as one of the soundtracks to such a significant chapter of my life. You know, their music is woven into the fabric of the story of my life. And I just, I love how music can do that. It can just add so much richness to this journey. And so they also have their new album called All Right Now, and it is becoming a fast favorite. And I feature a couple of songs by Satsang on my four music playlists that I curated for Psychedelic Journeys and Beyond. And so you can swipe those playlists on my website at livefreelauraD.com, where you can also access my eight-day microdosing program that is totally free to sign up for and receive. And so before we dive into this conversation, I just wanted to mention one more thing that Drew spoke to in this episode, this need to not give up on your dreams. And when you hold a vision to keep dedicating yourself to the path and to keep going. And I just, I've been really feeling this message so much lately. And I wanted to share that I'm really feeling the dividends of my own devotion and dedication to this path. And I am so thrilled to announce that I've been invited to speak at the Delic Psychedelic Conference in Vegas in November. And I'll be speaking alongside Aubrey Marcus and Duncan Trussell and a whole lineup of incredible speakers. 
And you know, I've been holding the vision of being a professional speaker since I was a kid. And you know, it's been so many years of speaking for free at conferences and online events and summits, which I'm sure I will still do. And I'm just really starting to feel this shift happening where I'm starting to get paid to speak at events, which that just feels really good. And I'm sharing this as a reminder for people listening that if you're holding a vision for something that you're creating in your life and you feel inspired by that vision, keep going. Don't give up. Keep dedicating yourself to the path because there is no arriving. You know, it's not about an end destination. It's about how the path itself shapes us into who we are becoming. And so if you feel that inspiration, you know, it's not always easy, but I know that it is always worth it. All right. So without any further ado, I am so thrilled to share this episode featuring Drew McManus from Satsang. Yeah. So nice to have you on the show, Drew. Thanks so much for meeting with me today. It's such a pleasure. You know, I've been listening to your music for years now. And so it's it's really an honor to be able to have a real-time conversation with you and learn more about the man behind the music. Yeah. I'm so grateful for you having me. So maybe we could just start, you know, this is the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. You know, maybe the the starting point for this conversation is um, exploring the role that psychedelics have played for you in your life, especially, you know, where you're at right now. You're launching a new album that is so exciting. I've been listening to it on repeat. Um, yeah, let's maybe just start there. Um, well, they've been a, they've been a part of the story for <laughs> since puberty. Um but it was, um, you know, when I was young, I had a very um, Hunter S. Thompson, Ken Kesey. Uh, I always, I always, my catchphrase is that I used Hunter S. Thompson and the Grateful Dead as my moral compass for a long time. Um, so when I was young, you know, psychedelics, it was just a really playful, um, a playful exploratory thing. You know, I was exploring music. I was exploring uh, you know, lots of different literature and counterculture and all of its facets. So it was just always kind of present, you know, I was always pretty drawn to them. Um, but I, I feel like a huge turning point for me was, um, you know, I, I was a pretty severe alcoholic and, and struggled with a lot of different addictions. And, um, I, would I went to treatment, I did the AA thing, and what kept happening was I would be sober for a few months and then I would relapse. And then I'd be sober for a few months and then I'd relapse. And um, when I was sober, it was just kind of this white knuckling, you know, of like doing everything I could not to drink. There was no like homeostasis. And um, I, um, I had come upon, I was listening to Terrence McKenna lecture, um, while I was cleaning, cleaning this little shitty apartment that I lived in. And, um, uh, I loaned a friend of mine, uh, a piece of climbing gear that he had, uh, had lost on a climb. He had to bail on the climb with it. And I was just like, you know, man, pay me whenever. Well, I was listening to this Terrence McKenna lecture weeks later. And, you know, he's was advocating the use of, uh, of five grams of mushrooms by yourself in the dark. Well, well, my friend that had lost a piece of climbing gear, he hit me up and said, hey, man, I don't have any money, but I just 
come upon an ounce of mushrooms. Would you like to come over and just grab a handful of them? So I said, you know, the timing of it was pretty weird as I was like, had just listened to that, that part of the lecture. So I said, yes. And, um, and I ate them and it was both the, the best and worst night of my life. It was not a pleasant, it wasn't a pleasant experience. Um, but I've not drank alcohol since that night. Um, I confronted um, my, my childhood. I came from a really abusive, traumatic uh, upbringing. Um, and I think it was the, I, I look at it as the beginning of me going, okay, here's this cycle, this familial cycle that I've been in. Um, and it's time to get to work. Um, so ultimately I, I, whether it's the story of Satsung or me as a man or, or me taking my role as a parent, um, I can kind of trace everything back to that night. Um, Hmm. so since then I've, I've used them quite a bit more responsibly than I did that night, but, um, it's a really interesting thing because everything for me kind of comes back to that, Hmm. that evening. Hmm. That's wonderful. And yeah, there's so many questions that I want to ask you, you know, do do plant medicines play a role in your music and your creative process? Are they a source of inspiration for you? Um, yeah, I think they're kind of an inspiration to me, um, in everything that I do. Um, you know, like I said, I'm pretty advocate, strong advocate of responsible use now, uh, whereas previously, you know, <laughs> responsible is the furthest thing from my mind, but, um, yeah, to me, it, it's, um, those plant medicines are just always a reminder to me that, um, that I'm not my body. And, um, more recently, the experiences that I keep having is just, uh, just how serious what I'm doing is how serious this music thing is. And that, I, that I was chosen to do it, you know, and that was, um, during this last ayahuasca ceremony that I did, that was the, that was the big takeaway of like, Oh man, this isn't a, this isn't just something I'm doing. This is like my divine purpose. That's what I was put here to do. Uh, and all of the, the heavy responsibility that comes with it, but as well as all of the, the ridiculousness that comes to it. But yeah, to answer your question in short, yeah, I feel like, um, Directly or indirectly, I feel like plant medicine is kind of a part of everything that I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like more integrated in all aspects. Yeah, I'd love to just talk about the the musical journey. I mean, I found you through the album, The Story of You. That played a really big impact in my life. I love that album. What was the turning point for you where things really shifted in your music and you were like, okay, I'm dedicating my life to this? Well, I had been toying around with it for some time, you know, of wanting to do it since I was a kid, you know, it was always what I knew I wanted to do, but, um, you know, when you get older, you have to get a job and you have to do all the things to maintain your life. And, um, post soon after that, that mushroom trip, I took a trip to Nepal. And when I was in Nepal, um, the goal of the trip for me was or the pinnacle i guess you could say was to get to the top of this this pass called renjo pass it's twenty thousand feet um but at the top of it you can see everest you can see all of the tallest mountains in the world 
Um, and when I got up there, I wrote what later became the thrill of it all. And on the walk down that day was when I just started being like, okay, man, well, Renjo Pass was like the official middle of the trip, right? I was like, okay, well, now you're at the halfway point of the trip. So the realization of like, dude, you have to go home mm-hmm. kind of set in. So there's just, I was just, that whole walk down that day was just like, okay, well, shit, what am I going to do? And, you know, by the time I made it to the monastery, it was like, well, it's music, dude. It's always been music. So I spent the second half of that trip really kind of mapping out what that was going to look like. Um, And yeah, I pretty much just made the decision. Like I'm going to go all in. Um, There's parts of it that are going to suck. You know, people are going to tell me that it's not going to work. I'm going to think it's not going to work, but ultimately it's what I have to do. So I just, um, Nepal was the big, yeah, it was the big turning point. And then when I got home, man, I just went right to work. Hmm. How do you balance this sense of discipline with devotion? You know, that it, it really does like take so much discipline and to show up and as an artist, as a creative, there there is this notion that, you know, we have to dedicate to the craft. And how is that path of, of discipline and, and really like spiritual devotion, in a sense, been for you? Well... You know, I think for me, music has given me everything, you know, whether the like, you know, the super tangible things, right? Like it keeps my family fed and in a house and, you know, I have a truck and a motorcycle and, um, you know, it pays for daycare. So there's all those tangible things. But then on the more like meta side of it, um, it has just always been there for me. You know, whether, you know, yeah, whether my dad had just kicked the shit out of me or I was homeless or strung out or going through a breakup, you know, music has always been there. So um, I think there's a conscious and a subconscious thing where I'm just always showing up for this thing that's never left my side. Um, And then I also realized just what an insane gift it is. Um, to call music my job. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, although it is a lot of work and, and I, I pride myself on, on discipline in, in all areas of my life, it's, um, it's kind of easy to show up for it. You know, mm-hmm. it's given me everything. You know, music is, it's given me everything. Um, my worldview, my, like I said, the tangible and untangible things. So it's, um, I'm just constantly paying it back. Hmm. You know, it's how I, how I look at it. I'm just, we're, it's, it's a reciprocal relationship. The more I give it, the more it gives me. Right. And I know you dedicate to jujitsu as well. You dedicate your discipline on the mat. I know what that, what yeah. that's like. I've also was raised as an athlete. And so I'm just curious though, your, your like inner relationship to discipline, is it critical? Is it soft? Is it compassionate? You know, like, where's that line of like drill sergeant versus like, this is my love. Um, it's funny. I don't know where that line is. I would say it's pretty critical. Um, I find great power in, you know, opening up my eyes at five 30 in the morning when the alarm goes off and going, fuck dude, I just want to go back to sleep and going, no, get your ass out of bed, drink the water, go to the bathroom, go to the gym. Um, 
how I feel after I do that is it's just like, okay, man, it's seven 30 and I've already conquered something and I've already conquered myself. You know, I've that little voice that says, no, stay in bed, take the easy route, relax. Um, you know, by seven 30 in the morning, I've already taken that voice and smashed its face into the dirt. So I've, I feel like I start my day, um, with a victory. Um, I've already won. Um, so yeah, it's not very kind. My, my inner voice is not very kind, mm. but, uh, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's not a, it's not an abusive voice. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not, um, it's not graceful, you know? Yeah. It's pretty, pretty hard. Um, but I, again, I just, I look at the value and the blessing that it is to have an able body and how many people wish they could roll out of bed and go lift weights um, or wish they could go punch and kick their friends or wish they could grapple. Um, so I just don't want to waste that mm. blessing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, much like music, I'm like, dude, if I was given this able body, who am I to not, <laughs> to not go push it to an extreme every day? Mm hmm. Yeah. So from this time in Nepal, you know, and, and people have no idea, you know, what it really takes on such levels of discipline to achieve any kind of critical threshold of success. So it's like you hold this vision of being successful, having a certain level of influence, touring, you know, having a critical mass of, of listeners for your music. And then you hit that threshold, you know, and then one day you're like, wow, OK, I've arrived. And now you're very much in, in that place. You know, I think you've had gosh, how many millions of views or listens on Spotify, which is just so incredible. And so being where you're at now and looking back, you know, what have you really learned on the journey? And what would you tell yourself with what you know now? And for the people who are really taking that climb right now, what's your best advice for, for yourself in the past from your, your future self? To, to keep going. You know, um, first off, I think you got to always be honest with yourself. You know, like I, I love martial arts, um, but I have no delusions of grandeur that if I was to try and make a run as a professional fighter, that it wouldn't go well. Um, so I think having like a realistic view, but for me, for me, there's, you know, especially with music, there's all of these phases that feel impossible. Like they're never going to end. Right. Like when I first started touring, it was playing three hour bar gigs mm -hmm. to people that weren't even paying attention to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I always just had the mantra of this is just the phase that you're in. This is just part of the story. Um, so there's a lot of um, short term sacrifice for long term gain. Um, and I think we live in a culture that demands immediacy. Right. That says, well, I want to be a successful musician, so it should happen. And, and people point to the stories of, you know, a Justin Bieber or someone that's like, well, this kid just put stuff on YouTube and then he became the biggest star in the world. And it's like, yeah, but for 99.9% .9 of artists, that's not how it goes. Mm -hmm. um, so I've just always had the, the very like 70s rock and roll viewpoint of my career, which is no, man, we're going to grind and we're just going to tour and make good records and some of the records might do well, some of them won't. Um, and that it's all just part of the story. You know, this is, I want to do this music thing. Like, I feel like I'm just getting started. Um, like 
to me, the new record feels like the beginning of my career. Like the rest of it was just like building this foundation. And now I feel like I just found myself. So there's no, you know, the end goal is to do it forever. There's mm-hmm. no like, okay, well, once I win a Grammy or I'm here, then I've done, you know, there's no Renjo mm-hmm. pass, if you will. It's just like, no, the, the goal is to just be able to continue to do it forever. So yeah, to me, the advice is to zoom out, you know, and just look at everything as a phase, whether it's with music or martial arts or yoga, you know, I think yoga is a big one that I always think of, um, you know, or people like, well, I can't do yoga because I'm not very flexible. It's like, well, yeah, you dummy. That's why you do yoga. You know, so it's like, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that's in yoga class that like looks around and it's like, holy shit, how are these people doing this stuff? And it's like, well, they do it all of the time. So it's like that persistence and that, that discipline of showing up and just being like, okay, I'm playing the long game. So, you know, today is just another day in the story rather than, you know, in the comparison game, I think that's another one that really gets artists as you're looking around and it's so easy to go, well, I think I'm better than this person at this craft. And why are they so much farther ahead than me? It's like, well, cause that's their story and yours is yours, mm. you know, mm-hmm. but persistence, I think is just the biggest one. It's just not quitting. Mm. You know, so many people quit when it's hard. Mm-hmm. I also, whenever I think about this for myself, I always think, you know, tell my younger self to just like, enjoy where you're at, enjoy the phase, you know, it's just like, there's always such like a, just desire to be five steps ahead, you know? Well, it's, it's funny. So I grew up, uh, I always point to this story, like, you know, I grew up such a huge Michael Franti fan because hmm. I love folk music. I loved punk rock. I loved hip hop. And he was just the perfect fucking amalgamation of all of those things. You know, his album Yell Fire changed my life. So if you would have told high school me that I would do, you know, uh, an entire year on the road with Michael Franti and he would become a dear friend, um, I would not have believed you. But when I look back at that summer in 2017 of touring with him for a whole year, I wasn't present for any of it. I was stressed out about, okay, well, we're playing in DC. I wonder if we're going to sell tickets when we come back to DC by ourselves. Are these people even going to like us? Like how many new fans did we win? Uh, What are we going to do when this tour is over? What's next? What's next? And oddly enough, Franti and I would sing every night, would sing a song together called Enjoy Every Second. And that was the name of the fucking song. That was the, that was the chorus of the song. Enjoy every second. And I didn't, I didn't, mm-hmm. I did. I wasn't present for any of it. Um, and um, now that I can look back on that and go, fuck dude, you weren't even there for that. It was one, that was literally the turning point of my career was going on tour with him. And I wasn't even there for it. Mm-hmm. I was so stressed out about what was coming next. Um, so I won't do that anymore. You know, I'm just here. I'm here now. I'm fucking here for all of it. Hmm. How is this album different for you? Um, I think the biggest thing was I haven't been left the fuck alone in a long, long time. And, and COVID pulled the e-brake on our industry. Um, and I know it was really hard for some people. It wasn't hard for me. It was the, it was the greatest blessing of my life. Um, I, um, man, I have lost pretty solid touch with who I was Hmm. outside of music. You know, when you're touring as much as we were touring 
and constantly working on a new album and constantly trying to build this thing, I wasn't Drew anymore. I was Satsung. I was this entity and this product and this thing. And um, I really just wanted to be a guy again. You know, I wanted to be a dad and, um, and a fighter, you know, and a fisherman and all of these things that I was before music took over. Um, so for me, it was kind of a return because the story of you was written during Nepal and all of these outdoor escapades before anything was anything. I was just writing songs because I loved writing songs and I was just telling my story. Um, and this new record is that, you know, there was no plan. There was no like narrative, you know, I wasn't trying to do anything other than just be who I was. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like I lost that for, for a few years in the middle of this whole thing. Um, so I, I, this record is such a big deal to me because I just feel more myself than I've ever been. And with this time off, I was going to therapy. I was, um, you know, yeah, using psychedelics again. I was, I was getting out on the river. I was just became a guy mm-hmm. again, you know, just a guy rather than, you know, sad song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just got to be drew again for, for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so all the music just came from this really centered place, you know, of love and home. Hmm. So it just feels really good and pure. Do you still struggle with, I mean, this process of like coming home to yourself? I, I heard you, and I think it was a on YouTube video that I watched where you were saying, you know, you felt like at a certain point that you were playing the same songs and that you had this like expectation from your audience to create certain kind of music and that put you in this box. And this process of just stepping into like owning your authenticity and like, you know, I want to ask you about what that means to you. And also like this fear of being seen, like, do you still experience a fear of like, wow, people are going to see who I I really am and will they still love me, you know, as this person that I am? Um, yeah, no, you know, as an artist, there's always this fear of like, are they going to like what I made? Um, but as a person, no, I'm pretty fearless now. Um, uh, I used to have this weird, unwavering desire to be understood. And in the last year, I really lost it. Um, I don't really care to be understood anymore. Um, you know, the the whole thing when we were making this record was the, the label was really cool. And they let me do pretty much whatever I wanted. And um i had grayson the man that made um this documentary that we've that we've chopped up into these episodes and that takes all of our pictures um he's a dear friend of mine and he just came and lived with me for three weeks and then came and hung out with us while we made the record and th- the goal was how i just want to show everyone who i really am so if they don't like me they can just stop listening now. And if they, if they do, then they'll become more invested. You know, they'll go, okay, well, I really vibe with this dude. So I really want to listen to his music now. The goal is for me to just show who I am and, and, and just be a hundred percent vulnerable. And, you know, I meet people all of the time that, um, 
you know, being an artist is a tricky thing because people's only way to relate to you, they don't know me. So they're just listening to the music. So they have this story in their head of who I am, you know? So when they meet me, they have this idea of who I am. And um, I, w- I wanted to make the film to show, cause I, I always, it was always a joke in the van of like, if people on the road that I met knew that, you know, I was spending the day before that show at an MMA gym, you know, fighting all day um, and, and lifting weights. And then, you know, on my break in between tours, I was going hunting and, you know, if they knew who I was, they would be, it would be such a trip. Um, so, yeah. So the goal was to just show everyone who I am. Um, but yeah, to answer your question is an artist. Yes. Cause I don't think that'll ever go anywhere. It's such a scary thing when you make a record, because that's always the thing in the back of your head is like, well, fuck, what if they don't like it? No one listens to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a person, no, I don't. I don't really care if people get me or don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I no longer fear the unknown, cause I know what I am here for. I keep on trodden on my own path, keep on learning from my present and past. Yeah. When I no longer need validation, cause my story is long and I'm patient. I know that I have lessons to learn. My eyes open each step I earn, yeah No need for me to feel alone Cause I got a place that I call home Every single road travel, every single new place I come back home, they accept me with grace, yeah When I know that I was meant to be here And I know that I was born into fear But I will stand tall in the lion's den Cause I know in my heart I am one of them that there lies in the facets of everything that we see That are telling us to be scared When all we ever are is free I'm letting go of the things that don't serve me no more Cause I am holy and sacred and righteous and true And I deserve to be here and so do you Said I deserve to be here What has been like the key takeaway from the medicines in this year as you're working in therapy and working with plant medicines? What would you say is like the big, the big messages, the big downloads that you've been receiving? Um, well, so I had never done ayahuasca before. Um, and, and I went down a couple months ago and sat in ceremony and it was, uh, you know, uh, a thousand times more than what I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, the big download night one was we all come from purity and love. Um, but we live in a world that is, uh, designed to make us forget because if we forget, then we consume, you know, if we forget, then we become distracted and inside of that distraction, there's lots of money to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was this huge wave of like, um, I was being shown all of this beautiful thing. I, 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 I had this moment where I was like back when my son was born and that moment when Malachi was born, that just, ugh, that just heart exploding love. And then playing music on stage and then laying in bed with my wife, all these beautiful things. And then it got really dark because this voice kept saying, do you remember, do you remember? And I was like, oh yeah, I remember all of this. 
And then it was like, well, why do you keep forgetting? And I was like, oh shit, I don't know. You know, why do I keep forgetting that this is where we come from? Um, so night one of ceremony was just this big, huge reminder that it's all love and that we have to remember to remember. Um, and, and, and so that's the big thing for me. That's my mantra now. Remember to remember. Um, and night two was, was diving into this whole purpose thing and this music thing and that it didn't belong to me anymore and that it wasn't this thing I was doing. It was a calling that I was answering. So it was this big, heavy download of, of what a responsibility it was and how serious it was. And, you know, I hadn't played uh, shows with the full band and we, we knew we were going to Red Rocks and doing all that. So that came up really heavy and I was really scared about being seen again. Like coming out of this hibernation, having to go back on the road and back on stage and be in the center of attention again. And it scared me. Um, but I think the big takeaway was, was that this thing isn't, um, like I said, it's not a job. It's not a, that it's what I'm here to do mm-hmm. so that I have to, I have to answer it. I have to answer to that calling. So it means showing up when I don't want to show up sometimes. It means doing things that I might not want to do that are for other people. And that it's that it's a role of service and that the more I show up for that service, the more that service will show up for me. Um, I mean, that's that's really it for me is that everything is love. That's where we come from. That's where we're going. Um, and that I'm actually inside of my purpose right now which is like i think as a as a human (laughs) that's like the ultimate thing you know there's like this great heartbreak of people searching for their purpose and going what am i here for what am i here for and what a fucking blessing (laughs) that i know (laughs) and not that i not just that i know what my calling is but that i'm in it you know (laughs) um so i'm really excited you know And, and for me that's just it as i um is why I'm so grateful for plant medicine is that veil of those things that I, that I mentioned before, right. The distractions, the, I mean, you know, no one pulls up Instagram when they're in the middle of, you know, a psychedelic experience. It's like, no, you can, you know, you know, that that's bullshit. You know, that, you know, no one wants to watch the news. It's because you know that that's not it, you know? Um, So I'm forever grateful for those, those medicines just kind of calling me back to the fire as it were. (laughs) <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. to sit with what is really real. Mm. Have they helped to sort of fine tune your perceptual field of awareness into more like energy and frequency and subtlety? Have you noticed a shift in sort of like where that the whispers of inspiration come from and like what to pay attention to and where to direct your focus to sort of nourish your vessel, your your creative vessel? I mean, has that shifted at all? Yeah. You know, on the good days, I'm really in that. Um, I would say a big thing that it's given me is um, compassion instead of judgment. And I'm not good at that uh, every day, but on the days that I'm in tune, I am of, 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 you know, that's, that was another big revelation I had during ceremony. You know, my wife is a, a psychotherapist that specializes in trauma. And I realized what her superpower is, is she doesn't see, an angry person yelling at her, she sees the unheard child behind the adult yelling at her, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, 
I definitely feel like I have an, an, an insight into what real compassion looks like. And if you've ever been to a ayahuasca ceremony, you know, nobody's there for a good time. Mm. Everybody's there to do work, you know. And, um, you know, um, I was going back and forth uh, the second night between crying and laughing mm -hmm. because I would look around and there, you know, there's a mechanic, a stay at home mom, a shitload of soldiers, um, just all of these different walks of life that were trying to heal, you know, that, that, that were there to heal and work. And it would overwhelm me and completely break my heart that the world was hurting so much. Mm -hmm. But then I would be filled with this joy and this laughter of like, but look at us all, our titles and what we do in the world doesn't matter because we're here doing the work and that's the most beautiful thing in the world. Um, mm -hmm. So it's given me a compassion of there's that age old thing, right? That everyone you meet is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and hearing people open up and, and share what they were going through is just like, you know, make, yeah, makes me tear up right now just thinking about it. That it's like, dude, your mechanic could be being rude to you because his son died last week, you know, right. and you have no idea. You have no idea what people are going through. So, really, it's given me this kind of sustained state of compassion, which is something that I used to lack because I think I had such a hard life that the way I related to the world is, you know, well, life's hard, get, get tough. Uh, you know, we all got shit rather than like, oh my God, you know, like, <laughs> everyone's going through this thing and all they need is a hug most of the time, you know? Right. Right. Everyone's just trying to make sense of what it means to be alive on this planet right now. There was a quote that I saw recently mm. that I had posted something, it was something along the lines of like, the more, you know, someone's story, the more your judgments of them fall by the wayside. You know, it's like the more you get human and that's this time we live in such a time of division where we're just like hurling shit at across the ridge, you know, it's just yeah. like where it's just such yeah. a time of separation. And I, I do truly believe that plant medicines are here to build bridges, you know, to mend these these times of division. And compassion is such a big part of that, like, you know, refraining from judgment for just a moment to see the humanness in all of us. Yeah, you know, Michael Franti says, I think that everyone would love every person they meet if they heard their story, mm. you know, because unless you know someone's whole story, you just don't have context. Um, it, like you said, I think, you know, people, life is so hard um, and it's so unforgiving at times. And if you grew up like I did, you're surrounded by no empathy. So your worldview and your prefrontal cortex is formed under the constant threat of violence and this belief that mm -hmm. no one is here to help me. No one's coming to save me. I'm an island. I am, you know, it is me. I'm this fucking thing. And I'm going through the universe, which to think of yourself as the center of the universe is just the wildest mm -hmm. <laughs> fucking thing in the world it's such a silly way to go through life but typically that's what we see with people that are hurt yeah. is they feel like life is happening to them mm -hmm. um you know they're not an active participant everything is just happening to them um and and again i think that's what's so magical about psychedelics is they zoom out and they go no it's happening for you and with you mm -hmm. not to you um so you get to be a part of this dance rather than a collision all of the time you know um but we also live in a time, you know, one thing that I always, that I see a lot of is we're losing a lot of 
community, especially what we what we saw during COVID was um, everyone was isolated. So you mix that with the political shitstorm that was happening, and and it go it people were were stripped of any sense of community, so they started finding their community and validation online of you know me and my phone or me and my computer that's how i'm interacting with the world which is a scary scary (laughs) way to interact with the world and like you're saying um it's very easy to say mean things to someone on a a computer it's very easy to hurl shit at someone through a computer or a phone Mm -hmm. um because my friend mark murphy the lead singer of wookie foot he, he he broke this down really well he said when you stand up to a bully or you stand up for something that you believe in to somebody's face, there's an endorphin rush because inside of your body, you know, that when I say this, this person could adversely react and maybe they hit me in the face. So there's some mild threat of violence or confrontation there. So the endorphin rush that happens when you stand up for your point and stand up to the bully is because you're facing this threat of violence and saying, well, I'm speaking on behalf of righteousness um, in the face of adversity. And what the computer does is it gives people um, the ability to say their thing without any sort of threat. You know, there's mm-hmm. no there's no threat of actual right. confrontation or violence there whatsoever, but they still get the endorphin rush. So whether we see that, you know, enveloping in through through cancel culture or through extremist politics, it's just an absolute shit show. And we're, and we're I'm quite fearful uh, of uh, of where this thing is going to lead us you know this uh this validation via the internet because it's a it's a weird thing it's a weird place to go to look for validation um and and it's quickly becoming the new norm Mm -hmm. yeah i was recently reading something that someone was writing about statistics in terms of um like reactivity when people read like a comment versus when you hear someone's voice and that when you hear someone's voice, it actually is much more easy to act, to, to connect with them. But when you read, you just like imbue what you're reading with your own fucked up narrative that's angry and, you know, and that it's so much easier to just like hurl shit at each other just because everyone's like angrily writing and like commenting on the things that we don't, you know, like agree with. And it's, it's just, and, and I even see it in the psychedelic space. Well, there's no facial expression. There's no tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. And so, you know, when you see that, so how have you, how do you like stand up for the things that you believe in from a place of kindness and not from a place of anger? You know, I mean, people look up to you. You're an influencer. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So it's like, how much responsibility do you feel to stay rooted in center and kindness in communicating from a place of like non-judgment? Well, I think the big thing is, I had a really interesting experience this year because I, throughout the course of the election and all of that, you know, since this time last year, I made it a point to make my public opinion that we should talk to people that we disagree with. Mm. Um, Because I previously was on the camp of, if you're a Trump supporter, I don't have anything to say to you. Um, there, there's, there's nothing you could tell me that would justify you voting for that psychopath. And through both jujitsu, uh, through just living in Montana, um, I started seeing 
that I really um, connected with and loved a lot of people with different political views than me mm -hmm. um, because politics makes up a pretty small portion of conversation if you're keeping it to um, parenting. Uh, what do you like to do with your time? What's your dad like? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what kind of food do you like? Um, when we keep the conversation in things that matter, <laughs> it's pretty easy to get along with most people. Um, so I made it my, I, I made a huge point to make my voice one of challenging people to talk with people that did, they didn't agree with. Um, so in that, um, I had JP Sears come on my podcast, who, by the way, is one of the sweetest human beings on the planet. Mm -hmm. um, I, I agree with, with some of JT's or JP's stuff. I don't agree with all of it. Um, but my thing was, you seem like a sweet enough guy. Why don't you come on the podcast? And, you know, we hit it off. I really enjoyed talking with him. And mm -hmm. when I posted his picture and that I had had him on the podcast, um, the hate that followed for a couple of weeks there, I'd never been, um, I had never really been reamed on the internet before. Um, and it was pretty hard. Um, and it challenged a lot of my beliefs, um, because there was things said to me by people I was just watching people hop on this, like fuck sat some bandwagon, right? Mm -hmm. Some of which were people that I'd helped that I'd called festivals on their behalf to get their band booked, uh, that I'd let open for us. Um, people that I had been really kind to that were, that were getting their like social merit points by hopping on this right. fuck me bandwagon. Um, also, you know, as someone that's fairly skilled in violence, I, I just, uh, and grew up in a place where, you had to answer for most of what you said. I, I just couldn't comprehend it because I was like, man, if I was standing in front of you, not on any planet at any time, would you say that? Mm -hmm. But because you're a thousand miles away behind your phone, you feel completely comfortable saying that. So it was this weird internal battle of, you know, the Eastern philosophy in my brain being like, they know not what they do. Why would you give this any attention whatsoever? That's clearly their hurt. This is them. This has nothing to do with you. You know, and then the kid from the dog patch in Des Moines, that's like, okay, well, next time I'm in Minneapolis, I know where you work and I'm going to pull up and we'll see what you got to say. Um, so it was a, it was a tricky thing for me, but uh, ultimately was you know, and oddly enough, the person that, that really talked me through it was JP, where he's just like, oh, man, you know, could I just couldn't imagine um, hearing someone say something that I even if I vehemently disagreed with, I'd be like, OK, well, I'm done listening to you. I'm not going to listen to your podcast anymore because I clearly, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I don't vibrate with what you're talking about. Um, what I wouldn't do is then make it my life goal for two weeks to try to destroy you. You know, that's a weird, dark <laughs> thing. Um, but again, like we we're saying, you know, I think it just says a lot about where we're at as a culture. And then I really moved again, after, especially after the ayahuasca thing, was it just moved me in such a place of compassion because I was like, think about the hurt living within someone that goes, mm -hmm. okay, you know, I'm going to smash this person because I disagree with them. I'm going to mm -hmm. do everything I can to ruin their life. You know, like, how crazy is that? You know, like, 
Right. Yeah. Right. I love how Brene Brown puts it. You know, she says something along the lines of when, you know, you have to realize that when you're taking a side, you inevitably become like the people you're fighting against. You know, being so anti-Trump is the same as being so anti-Biden. You know, it's like the same yep. thing. It's the same thing. And and we do. We actually need to rise above. And I'm actually I've been studying Eastern philosophy for about 15 years and I, one of the things I love about Eastern philosophy is that they sort of break down the somatic awareness of trigger. I mean, in the Tibetan Buddhist lineage anyways, there's this notion of this whole teaching that's called Shempa, that when we get triggered, there's like a visceral contraction that happens. And in that contraction, it immediately creates separation. Um, what's your growth edge for you that you're witnessing right now that you're working with, with in terms of being triggered by what you see, whether it's personal and your family? family or beyond in your community on social media? What's like your, your edge right now? You know, a huge thing for me is that, um, I I'm not going to become emotionally attached to the opinions of me by people that don't know me, which, which seems like such a basic idea, but it's such a hard one when you're a public figure. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a huge one for me is like, not, you know, um, being able to take that breath and go, okay, well, this person knows absolutely nothing about me. Therefore their opinion of me means nothing because they have no base. There's no, you know, there's nothing there. Um, you know, and two, to be blunt that my opinion really doesn't mean shit. Neither does yours, you know? Um, and my opinion on any given subject isn't going to change the subject. <laughs> so it's like, um, while I can have an opinion, um, I think those discussions um, that really deep dive on any given issue, that it's important to kind of talk about them with, with trusted people, mm -hmm. you know, that aren't going to go, you know, everything to me is so nuanced, you know, like, um, fuck, I guess this is a rather controversial one, but it's the one that's like in, in my brain at the moment is this like, um, I was just reading, I'm, uh, extremely pro LBGTQIA plus however many letters there is attached <laughs> to that thing now. Um, like I think if a person wants to, you, you identify as whatever you want and, and uh, you have my full support and protection. Um, I, I'm a big proponent of personal freedom. I, and I think you can do whatever you want with your human life. Um, now where this one gets tricky is there is a, there's a swimmer that was previously identifying as a male that in 2018 was ranked 277th and 2019 was ranked 300th and then is now identifying as a female and just won a national title. Oh, right. And I, to my, and right. I, to myself, I go, fuck dude, imagine if you were one of those female swimmers that's been training your whole fucking life. And then this person goes, well, I'm now identifying as a female. So I'm taking this world title. Um, and, and so I, I don't have a horse in the race, but I, I'm just using that as an example where it's like, someone can take that out of context of, right. of that soundbite of me just saying that, well, this person identified as a female and then went stole a national title and say, see, he's anti-trans, which couldn't be further from the truth. Um, so we just live in this time where we're losing nuance. And it's like, you know, if someone says they're pro this, that it means all of these other things about them. And it's like, well, no, maybe they're just pro that, you mm -hmm. know? Um, mm -hmm. So for me, I just try to keep a really nuanced 
outlook on everything and not have a solid opinion because I'm always, I'm open to the notion. And this is, I think the other great gift of psychedelics. I'm open to the notion that I'm completely full of shit about anything at any given time, you know, Mm -hmm. um, uh, psychedelics do a good job of showing you that, um, whether you want them to or not. So yeah, I, I, you know, I just, Mm. I'm trying not to have a public opinion about anything other than like love is good and we should be nice to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and take psychedelics safely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that people at the end of the day, everyone just wants to feel loved and feel safe. So we need to create a world where that is the goal, you know, and extremism is not the route. Yeah. Um, compassion is the route, you know? Yeah. And it's all a narrative. You know, we're all just telling each other stories that we just happen to believe to be true. I mean, and then when you look at psychedelics and like Dr. Robin Carhart Harris's, you know, hypothesis of the Rebus model, Rebus stands for relaxed beliefs under psychedelics. So what does that tell you? You know, that like we're shaking (laughs) up our models and we're like, okay, maybe there's this story or this story that's possible. And yeah, I mean, there's just so much, there's so much we could say about that. Well, I think there's these opportunities and, and, and the, the way that I see psychedelics going with, with the expansion of maps and all of the work that Dell is doing to legitimize these things that we've all been saying for the dawn of time, which is, um, you know, the narrative that psychedelics are going to leave you a mushy brained nut job. And it's like, no, pretty much all of the greatest art in the world has come from psychedelic advocates. And that's just real. Um, so it's like, um, you know, I think we're moving in a direction where as these things become more legitimized, um, we're going to see a big paradigm shift where, you know, the, the joke, uh, our weekend of ceremony was like, dude, what if this was the final step to taking public office? Like, okay, you've done it. You got the votes. Now you have to go to a retreat, you know? And it's like, um, or if there was a, <laughs> or if there was, you know, uh, an MDMA assisted debate, where you had you had two presidential candidates debating each other uh, under the the ultimate blanket of compassion and understanding, you know, where it's like, okay, you guys are each going to take, you know, a half a, or a tenth of a gram of MDMA before the debate starts, and you and you have to listen to the other person. You got to hear them. Totally, you know? <laughs> so I love like, that. Yeah, I actually, for my website, uh, two months before the elections, I wrote uh, uh, 10 science-backed reasons why we should spike the presidential punch and looking at actual, (laughs) you know, research that psychedelics do enhance empathy, open-mindedness. I'm I'm actually pursuing a master's in science right now in a program called Creativity Studies and Change Leadership. I'm writing my thesis on the overlap and intersection between creative problem solving and psychedelics. So it's creativity and psychedelics. It's It's a big topic for me. And the notion of open-mindedness, you know, uh, the five big personality traits, one of them is openness, openness to experience, very highly correlated with creative thinking, with creativity, with aesthetics, imagination. And there's a huge correlation between even one psilocybin journey can fundamentally change your personality trait known as openness, which actually normally becomes more narrow and rigid as we get older. So it's and and th- and that's the part of the narrative of the story of me, which I actually really want to ask you about. Unless I think you you want to chime in and say something to this before I ask you this question. Well, no, I was just going to say, you know, uh, I meet people all of the time that have these stories of, you know, I graduated college, I married the girl that I was dating in college, and I got the job, 
you know, I did the thing. I did, I did the thing that I was told that I should do. Mm-hmm. And at 40, I was terribly unhappy. Um, and insert a psychedelic experience. Fast forward five years, I'm in super good shape. I'm no longer with my wife. I, I know who I am. I'm reading different books. I'm on this journey of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's so important, right? That it's never too late to figure mm-hmm. out who you are. And, and like you're saying, I just think psychedelics are such a shortcut where mm-hmm. it's like, there's no, to me, that's why I always go back to them is because there's this veil of bullshit that just gets pulled off. Like there's no hiding from yourself in that experience. It's like, those medicines are going to show you who you are, whether you want them to or not. Mm-hmm. And the only answer to that problem, um, for me, the only thing that makes that great fear during that experience subside is okay well i guess i'll work on that mm-hmm. you know and and to me that was the magic of ayahuasca right is there's this like soft gentle hand on your back that's showing you these things that just goes okay buddy you know yeah. when you leave here you got to get to work on this thing you know um yeah i think that's that's yeah i i would like to read that when you're done with it because <laughs> that, that's probably one of the most in- interesting things in the world to me Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I mean, that's why I I like talking to artists and creatives for this podcast too. You know, I like the topic of like psychedelic psychotherapy, but it's like a little bland for me. You know, I'm really curious about like, where do you source inspiration from? Like this muse, this like notion of something that comes from something greater than ourselves. And, you know, what's that relationship to source, to creator, to energy that moves through us and out into the world that we literally like physically create with. I mean, it's by definition what it means to be human. It's our birthright. And I feel like we've lost this whole notion of, of that that is our birthright, that that is what makes us human. And, and I, I feel really passionate actually around changing the narrative around creativity because there's like this whole notion that like you're either creative or you're not. And I was one of those kids who I was told by my teacher, you're never going to be an artist because you can't draw, honey. I'm sorry. Yep. You know, and then I was told by my math teacher in grade three, you're never going to be good at anything to do with numbers because you can't do math, honey. And it was just like, well, fuck. Yeah. You know, Jackson Pollock wasn't a very good drawer either. And he made it swing pretty well. You know, (laughs) it's, you know, yeah, it's such a funny thing. I I think there's, um, I think we're more and more, you know, given all of the the bad things that we're seeing in society. I think more and more that the access to information, people are more curious than they've ever been, mm-hmm. um, which I think is going to lead us to some neat things. And, you know, I can sometimes, you know, I had, I went to the grocery store the day after ceremony and I got back to Dell's house and I was like, I think we're fucked, man. Like <laughs> I was just looking at all these people, dude, they don't know, you know, like they don't know what we know, man. And um, I had a conversation with my friend Aubrey about it and, and Aubrey goes, yeah, man, well, the only thing you can do is just live in a way that shows them. Cause it's like, you never know who's watching, you know, you never know someone might be watching you and then just go, fuck man, I want to live my life like that. I'm getting a fucking motorcycle and eating mushrooms, you know? So it's like, you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think, I think that's it. Cause that's the one part of, uh, um, of psychedelics that can kind of break my heart sometimes is you come back from these extremely revelatory experiences and then you go back out into the real world and you see everyone else just kind of slugging along in their meat suits, not asking any questions. And it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a bummer, you know? Um, 
but I think it's important to remember that, you know, everyone's just where they're at. And, um, again, yeah, that life is hard. So it's like that compassion and, and really, you know, I spent a lot of my life trying to tell people how to live, you know, how they should eat, what they should be reading, you know, how they should view the world. Um, and, and one conversation that I have been having with our kids a lot, our two older kids, one graduates next year and one will be a sophomore, is that that something I was never told and something that you were never told, judging by what you just told me, is that happy, happiness is the currency. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're looking at how we want to model our lives. That it shouldn't be, well, what's going to get you the lowest interest rate on your mortgage? And, um, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's the safest neighborhood and all of these things bullshit things that they try to tell you it's well what where would you be happy because mm-hmm. if you're fucking happy you know in a 12 by 15 room in lower manhattan then maybe that's your vibe or if you're happy in a cabin in the woods with one other person maybe that's the vibe um that, that happiness is the currency um so i think the more that we can exude purpose and happiness and joy uh the more people will win to the team um you know, I, I want to recruit by example, you know, I'm done telling people how to be and how to live, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, advocate freedom and choice. That's it. Right. What came to mind earlier when you said the big download from ayahuasca was like, this is serious business. This is your path. I always like to balance that out. It's like, that's why this whole notion of like devotion with discipline, it's like, it's serious and we should like really hear and listen to the call, but also like hold it with like lots of humor and like, you know, lots of levity and not like squeeze the shit out of it, but just like, okay, like this is like my spiritual path. I'm going to like dedicate to this. And I want to like, smile and make other people laugh along the way and just like also bringing that. And I think that's actually a big part of like psilocybin medicine. You know, ayahuasca tends to be like a little bit more serious that like psilocybin is like, oh yes, like this is such a big fucking cosmic joke. Like, of course it is. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I have that, you know, with my band, I think, you know, uh, don't, I, I think we probably laugh more than any band in existence. Um, a, we really love each other, but everyone in, in my band is so damn funny. Um, <laughs> so, you know, most of our days were, are just laughing. And at the end of the day, you know, every once in a while, my manager, who's who's one of my dearest friends, you know, we have these moments all of the time. You know, we were standing on side stage at Red Rocks getting ready to go out. And he leans over and he goes, man, we're just getting away with fucking murder. This is what we do. This is what, what, you know, like, dude, you write songs in a notebook and you got to go play them with your best friends in front of a shit ton of people. Mm -hmm. And like, that is something uh, that I never take for granted. And and to me, that's the levity in it Mm -hmm. is while I take it very serious at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. I'm singing songs. I get to do my favorite thing in the world. You know, and that's how I make ends meet is by by doing my favorite thing. Um, yeah, and that humor aspect is so important, you know. And I and like you said, I think that is is totally true with psilocybin, where it's like, yeah, I mean, you can't help but laugh when you're like, look at us all. We're just out here in our meat suits, bumping into each other, trying to figure shit out, and we take it so serious, you know. It's like it's really just a goof. I know. I know. Feel it coming on today 
creative process do you like work on songs do they just like pop out of you like where do you source inspiration from like tell me all the things (laughs) uh i'm very very blessed um i think of my creativity i don't know where these songs come from um i just have a deal with it that whether it's in the middle of giving my son a bath or i'm stuck in traffic or whatever it is when they come that i'll stop immediately and uh an answer um and it's so damn inconvenient at times um (laughs) you know i have this i have this thing where i was like just literally two days ago was telling my wife like fuck man i've ever written a song in a couple weeks like there's always this weird quiet fear of like did it turn off is it not coming back and then i'll write three in one day um so it's like, I just am kind of, I mean, I pick up my guitar every day and fiddle around with it just in case. Um, but really, I mean, I'll go a week without touching my guitar and then a song will just come. I'll just start singing it in my head and then I go figure it out and then it writes itself in two minutes and then boom, um, all the good ones come that way. I feel like if I work on something for more than 10 minutes i tend to just throw it away because it's it's me it's not the thing Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so whatever this weird cosmic muse is no it's just like doing its thing and then every once in a while it comes and knocks on the door that's Um, wild i love that narrative are you familiar with uh elizabeth gilbert's ted talk on creativity and she she tells uh -uh. this story i mean it's a few years old but she wrote big magic and i love her narrative around creativity and she talks about this old school poet this woman i don't know if she's still alive and i can't remember her name but she would talk about that that she would be out in the fields and she would hear the poem coming on the wind and it would strike her and she'd run as fast as she could over the hillside to grab the pen and catch it by the tail and sometimes the poem would come out backwards from end to start and I just like I love that it's just like there's some creative force and do you feel like you have to like tune into it like what's that feeling what's the like frequency the feeling that you get when you're like oh it's coming um it's pretty cool because it's usually like I said it happens so fast you know, for me to bring it full circle, I like, I have figured out if I am exercising 
six days a week, if I'm waking up and going to the gym, if I'm eating right, I'm drinking the water, I'm doing all the things and I'm, and I'm making time to, to close my eyes and breathe. And I stay in this disciplined practice of how I live my life. That muse tends to show up more. Yeah. So it's like, I, which is a special thing. Right. And I think, um, it's another cool thing about psychedelics, right. Is they're always kind of, if you're using them sporadically, you're always kind of tied to this weird ethereal, mm-hmm. like you're a human, but you're not taking being a human too serious. Cause you know, you're mm-hmm. part of this grander thing. And that really your spirit is the thing. And, and, and that you're just kind of in this vehicle and this weird experience. So I try to just stay ever so slightly tethered to the ethereal, mm-hmm. but keep a very disciplined human experience. Um, and, um, and then the song, they just come, right. they just come and it, it isn't a battle. And like, you know, I was telling my wife that I was like, man, I think I'm going to rent this winter in the dead of winter. I'm going to rent a, a forest service cabin and just go hang out in the woods for, for like four days without any service hmm. and write. And she called bullshit right away. She goes, that's not how you write. She goes, you'd sit in that fucking cabin for two days and get bored and come home. You know, he'd be like, yeah, there's nothing's coming. <laughs> so it's like, if I sit down and I'm like, all right, Drew, write some songs. It's like, that never happens. That's not, um, right. that's just not how it works for me. Um, and I think, you know, I think it's cool that other artists can do that and be like, okay, we're going to go in the studio and I'm going to write this record. But it's like, for me, I'm trying to only pull from that other place. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to insert too much of myself into this shit. I'd, I'd, I'd like to keep pulling from whatever that special thing is. Cause mm-hmm. then I think it just gives the music this cool thing where I can be like, well, I can't really take credit for it. I mean, I show up for it and I answer when she calls, but ultimately it's her. I don't know. You know, I don't know what this fucking thing is, but I'm, I'm just the one that picks up the phone. Right. That's such a similar narrative that I have too, is that like my body is a creative channel. It's a creative vessel. And if I show up to nourish it, dedicate to my morning practices, I sleep well, I eat well. When I feel good, I'm more receptive. I'm more in tune to receive. And, and I think that's a big part of it. Have you, have you ever written a song? I mean, it sounds like you were mostly working with psilocybin and then recently had your first ayahuasca experience. Is that right? Yeah, I'm a big, big fan of LSD too. Oh yeah, me too. Okay, cool. Yeah. We're, all, we're all on the same page. <laughs> yeah. But you know, with the medicine, it's like, it's so amazing that I see so many people who have never played music before and then they'll sit with their first ayahuasca ceremony and then within three months, they're popping out music and like literally singing songs. I mean, that was the case for me. I never played music and now I write music on my guitar, but it only comes through when I'm in the, the, the medicine space. And I've had these experiences where... I'll write a song and then two years later, I'll play it for myself in a solo sit in a ceremony that I'm holding for myself. And it will be the song for my medicine, for my healing in that moment, like two years later. I'm like, wow, my past self literally sent my future self this healing that needed to happen. Has that, has anything like that ever happened to you? Yeah. You know, I had a song come to me, my friend, David, in at ceremony, it was me, my friend Justin, and David. And Justin was having a hell of a time. And um, David reached over and put his hand on the back of his head, and I heard him whisper, "Every storm runs out of rain." And it was this like, oh, that's a good and one. Just like, 
Yeah, it just set me on fire. So I was like looking <sighs> around this room and this line, every person can return from pain like every storm runs out of rain. <sighs> I remember to remember and surrender because we come from love. Um, so that one, I still haven't done anything with it, but that couplet is there. Oh, and yeah. Just as you were talking, I was like, maybe the next record, we do this very weird soundy intro and I just say this rather than sing it. You know, so it's like, yeah. I... I don't think I process things as they're happening as, as an artist. Anyway, I, I feel like I'm life throws me these little things like this song that I wrote the other day. Um, my good friend, Brady, who's, who's building me a motorcycle right now. Um, he, he's one of the most interesting characters ever. He, he runs a clothing company called go fast. Don't die. Um, but he's a brown belt in jujitsu. He races motorcycles all over the world, but he ex he has this thing with Harleys. So if he's doing a desert race, he'll fucking turn a sportster into a desert racer. But anyway, and he also is just the most beautiful man ever. He's just like this gorgeous. He looks like a fucking movie character and he lives <laughs> his life as such. Um, uh -huh. So we're rather drawn. We're rather drawn to each other because I think we're both quite uh, enamored by the other one of like, look at this guy just doing his thing, you know? <laughs> anyway, um, he just lost his cousin. And where Brady and I first connected was I was there when he got his brown belt. And that was when we first kind of talked. But we both carry um, the coin, uh, Memento Mori, which means remember you'll die. Right. It's the, we're both big fans of the Stoics. Um, and I thought that was so weird that he carried that coin with him. I was like, yeah, it's so weird. And he's like, dude, I race motorcycles. Like, <laughs> you know, my mortality is in my face quite a bit. Um, but he just lost his cousin. And we were just kind of talking about it. And um, it dawned on me that I was like, oh, shit. Well, two days ago is the anniversary of my sister's passing. And I just kind of was thinking about uh, Brady and how he lives his life and how I live my life. And, and how subconsciously we're both very aware that we're going to die, you mm -hmm. know. So we're trying to make it pretty cool. Um, and out of nowhere, this song just came me and my wife were in the middle of giving our son a bath. And I was just like, I have to go. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> you know, So I like run into the other room and write this song. So it's like, for me, also the funny thing with the coin to, to relate it to what you were saying is like, um, you know, ayahuasca it confronts you pretty quick with the fact that you will die, yeah. you know, and it kind of shows you what's in store for you. Mm -hmm. um, and during my, uh, my ayahuasca experience, I was clinching, that memento mori coin so tightly. Hmm. Um, and when I kind of came back to my body, I opened my hand and it was flipped over <laughs> and on the back of the coin, it says you could leave here at any time. <laughs> and um, so it was weird. So I stored it and was like, well, that'll ha that's coming out at some point, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, I've never been, I've never written anything in the psychedelic space. Mm. It just seems too much. It seems too hard. I don't. Um, yeah. I think life, is just giving me these little nuggets that store and then the muse will like pull it off the shelf and hand it to me at a later time. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I usually write songs, uh, just like on the, the last third of my journey, I'll yes. open the space yep. and then I'll, I'll kind of play with a couple of ideas to kind of plant and like prime my brain in the psychedelic space. And then when I come out, I usually pick up like a nugget or two from like the opening before I was, you know, in the journey space. And then I'll be like, Oh, what's, you know, there's something there, but it's always just amazing that the more I get out of the way, the more I can receive really. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's, what's so weird to me is, I mean, you know, different strokes for different folks, but I, um, lyrics are so important to me, right? Like there's a lot of really good jam bands and the lyrics are just like gobbledygook. Like they're looked at as fillers, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, okay, well we have this really beautiful piece of music, you know, like, like fish, you know, it's just all of these goofy things thrown onto this beautiful music. And I'm like, I just don't look at music that way. I think the words are so important because it's like, man, like I, I think of the song, I am the amount mm-hmm. of stories mm-hmm. that people have shared with me relating to that song. Mm-hmm. It's just so crazy to, th- to think that you could be a vessel for something that might save somebody's life. Right. You know? So for me, that's always the goal. And that's why I only, I try to only pull from that place that you're talking about, which is this mm-hmm. like, no, this isn't me. I'm just kind of like transmitting this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I think that's so important. Cause to me, music is like, I mean, sure. It's a good time and all, but it's like, you know, it can really be a vessel to change people's lives. You know, that's always what it's been for me. Music has saved my life so many times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also with ayahuasca specifically, I've noticed that the way that I see frequency has really changed. Like the way that I understand resonance and when I hear music that is resonant with my body, you know, like when I listened to the story of you, I was like, wow, that's really resonating with something deep within me and paying more attention to that and seeing, you know, the synesthesia of like seeing frequencies has been definitely a big part of my journey with that medicine specifically. What was interesting for me is, is a, is a, as a music person, um, you know, my biggest fear of the ceremony wasn't the compound itself it was the okay so we're going to be in the dark for seven to eight hours and this woman is going to be singing the whole time you know i was like oh fuck that's going to get old because i just like in my head i was like okay you know if i was in a room on psilocybin or lsd and someone was like singing all of these songs in a different language i would eventually get to the place where i'm like yo you gotta shut the fuck up like i gotta you know what i mean i gotta <laughs> drop in here and what was so crazy about the ayahuasca ceremony is the woman that was facilitating who I'm pretty sure isn't from this planet. Um, she would stop and I would hear her take a drink of water and I'd be like, no, 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 stop. What are you doing? Keep singing. <laughs> you know, like, Don't stop singing. Like it became the thing, those Icaros, those songs were what was tethering me mm-hmm. to my experience. And when that music would stop, it would like pull the e-brake on what I was experiencing. And I was so, I was so reliant upon her voice uh, as the, as the school bus, you know, (laughs) taking me through my thing. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, man. That was, um, it's so funny too, how um, the thing that also keeps me forever intrigued with psychedelics is in the throes of night one, I said to myself, not only am I not doing this tomorrow, but I'm probably going to leave as soon as this wears off. I'm going to get in my truck and go home. <laughs> totally. And, and um, by the time we were sitting in circle on day two, I was like, man, I don't want to drink that shit again. Like I don't. And I wasn't alone in that. There was a few of us that had had that conversation together. Of like, dude, I don't want to drink that shit again. Like I'm good. I think I got whatever I came here for. And boy, am I so grateful for night two. You know, it was a completely different ride. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a completely different set of downloads and and I, I man i just think that's so funny it's this like for me I, they're just important reminders and I, and i and for me that's why I, I, psychedelics will 
will forever be a part of, of the story and, and a part of my life is um, they just keep me tethered to that ethereal where they remind me that this whole human thing, it isn't as serious as we're playing it out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the work they're in that's serious, you mm-hmm. know, um, and that they're just such great tools for remembering, mm-hmm. you know, remembering the shit that really matters. Cause like I said, you know, no one ever on psychedelics has been like, man, my lawn doesn't look as good as it should. (laughs) You know, it's like, that's just not the shit that comes up. It's like, man, I could be way nicer to my kids. I could give my, my son way more grace. Yeah. Yeah. It's never like, Oh, I wish I was like a little more angry about that really inconsequential thing. That doesn't mean anything. Totally. Oh, I could have come up with such a better rebuttal to that Facebook comment, you know? Oh man. Exactly. Yeah. I'm so curious, like how has your narrative around uh, trauma changed? Is your father still alive? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, um, I say that I say that with minimal levity. Um, yeah, he is. You know, um, I I think, you know, it, I've, it, it's interesting for me because my I, I wasn't raised by my biological father. My biological father is a very fundamental Christian um, who I try to maintain, you know, the best relationship that I can with. I haven't talked to my stepfather that raised me and, and, and abused me every day for 16 years. I haven't talked to him in some time. Um, I, um, I, I think I've, uh, I think I've forgiven him. And in a weird way, I'm kind of grateful for him because I don't know who I would be had my story not been exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'd be the person that I am. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I know for certain I wouldn't be, um, so I'm kind of grateful for all of the abuse and the trauma that I experienced. You know, it turned me into a pretty cool cat, I think. Um, there's um, there's just a weirdness when I, when I think about it, when I really dive in on it, of just like, I can't believe it was my life. And then every once in a while, these memories come up and I'll have to call my brother and be like, dude, was that real? And he's like, yeah, man, that one was real. That happened. Um so yeah, I don't remember what your question was, but yes, he is still alive um, and and not in the greatest of health from what I understand. He's an alcoholic, mm-hmm. so he's not doing great. Mm-hmm. So do you remember the shift for you to go from, you know, was it, was it the narrative of like, fuck you, I hate you, why did you do this to me? To like, wow, thank you for that. You made me who I am. That's a pretty big narrative shift. Yeah, you know, I think the biggest takeaway <laughs> of that, that epic psilocybin journey that kind of started the whole thing was uh that's kind of my the mantra for my life is that this thing has happened for me and not to me that it was the first time i went well maybe this incredible hardship and trauma happened to prepare me for this grand Mm -hmm. rest of my life Mm -hmm. um you know and i saw my other siblings you know, my sister drank herself to death before she was 40. And she was stuck in that cycle that this happened to me. I'm the way I am because of my dad. There was no personal choice in there of, well, what if I change the fucking narrative? And what if I take my power back? And I go, no, you know, I'm going to use this as fuel. I'm going to use this as, you know, a superpower that you can't hurt me. You know, you can't hurt me. I've been hurt too much. You can't hurt me. I'm unhurtable. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, for me, like I said, everything kind of goes back to that one night, but that was the big gear shift Mm -hmm. was, Whoa, what if this all happened to prepare me, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I used to do this weird thing when I was a kid, you know, my dad would kick the shit out of us and I'd go sit in my room and cry. And I remember I closed my eyes really hard and I'd go, fuck, I wish I could just be 25. For some reason in my head, I had at 25, I'll, I'll work some shit out and I'll be, you know, well on my way, which oddly enough was kind of when I made the decision to start doing music seriously. But um, I just look at my life now and how beautiful it is and what a gift it is. Um, and I go back to those moments of that kid closing his eyes and there was just a knowing in there. I knew that I was going to be okay, you know, and I think one thing that was special about me when I was a kid was I never internalized what was happening to me. I never went, my dad is kicking the shit out of me because I'm worthless, because I'm not good enough, because I'm not smart enough. I always was, well, he's a crazy alcoholic. So that's why he's doing what he's doing. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't take it personally, if you will. You know, there was never an inward thing that I thought something was wrong with me. I I very much knew there was something wrong with him. Mm -hmm. Um, which in most crazy trauma stories, it's, it's not that way, right? It's Mm -hmm. people take on the belief of that abuser that says, yeah, I'm not good enough. I'm flawed. And that's Mm -hmm. why they're doing this to me. I never had that, Mm -hmm. you know? Hmm. Where's your, you know, I, I like to frame it as like, what's at the center of your altar for your own prayer, for your own healing right now? Where's like your growth edge around your own sort of next evolution of deepening into wholeness, into healing? Hmm. Man, I'm, I'm trying to get softer. You know, I, I've hardened myself pretty damn well. Um, and you know, the further I go down the, the martial arts wormhole, it's the, it's Will's great joke. My, my coach and dear friend, he says, the more dangerous we get, the nicer we become. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just, for me, I need to walk way more in that compassion than we talk about. I'm so judgmental. I think we all are as humans, but you know, I beat myself up pretty good at the end of the day sometime where I'm like, dude, you know, you make these snap fucking judgments and you're not seeing past the thing like that superpower my wife has, I was talking about. I'd say at the center of my altar right now is seeing past the thing and, and seeing the real thing mm. is I, I'd like to get better at that and, and do it in real time rather and rather than in retrospect, you know, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to be being yelled at or whatever the thing is and see past the thing and go, Oh man, that's your dad or, whatever that's your thing that's not you Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. i'd like to be able to do that in real time so that's that's the big one for me right now Mm. yeah i don't know if you're familiar with chogim trumpa rinpoche's teachings he's of the shambhala lineage he always talks about you know taking your seat in the center with strong back and soft front you know strong back soft, open front. And then a lot of what Pema talks about and like the trigger, there's actually like a somatic association to softening. It's like when you feel the trigger and you want to contract, it's actually like going into the middle of it and like softening and relaxing it open. 
seeing like zooming out, seeing the bigger picture, like, oh, we get so narrow focused on like, holy shit, this person is like doing this thing. But it's like, OK, whoo, it's like a, a, as like somatic association to the softening. <laughs> that I, yeah, that's definitely the next step for me. You know, I used to just react, you know, and in the past year, I've gotten pretty good at going. I'm about to react, so I'm going to walk away right now. Uh, I'll circle back. Yeah. Um, which I think is a strong step one, you know, for me, it was a huge thing. Cause I used to just <laughs> react mm -hmm. and then have to apologize or explain my reaction. Um, so that's definitely the next phase for me is, is, is being able to in the moment go to soften and zoom out, mm -hmm. you know, cause, cause where I'm at right now is the, okay. Um, <laughs> Mm -hmm. I can feel a visceral response and a reaction that will be unfavorable following. So I'm going to walk away. Um, and then I have to go sit by myself and do that. It'd be nice to be able to just do that in the moment, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I was curious to ask you about just like, it's so palpable how much you love the lands of Montana when I was watching some of your videos and just mm -hmm. about this album and, yeah. What, what is the role that the land that Montana plays for you in your creative process and your coming to center and your like connection to the muse, you know, in, in your life and your love and devotion to this path? Like what is what does Montana play for you? Lay under the mountains where summer sees snow. The wind carries memories to where I don't know. On a rock in a river where time it gets slow These are the places I'm from that I go These are the places I'm from that I go Well, these mountains, um, when I was getting sober, um, they were really kind of all that I had, you know, I, I didn't really have any friends. Um, you know, when you quit drinking, you find out pretty quick that you have a shitload of acquaintances and not a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. Um, so I spent a lot of time in the mountains by myself. Um, so there's, there's that connection to them. They're like, uh, <laughs> they're like this old therapist that never goes away, you know, that I get to maintain a relationship with. Um, Two, you know, I think what makes Montana so special is um, there's a lot of beautiful states in America um, that have mountains, you know, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, California, but they've been pretty well polished. Um, they've been pretty well uh, populated. And Montana has this toughness and this ruggedness to it that's, that's, um, that feels otherworldly at times. You know, there's places in this state that you can go stand that are, you know, you can almost be certain no one's ever stood there before, or if they have, not in a very long time. So there's there's something very wild and untamed about it still. And, and you know, my prayer is that it stays that way forever. Um, mm, that's beautiful. I feel like you're describing how I feel about the Big Island. This is like rugged beauty. It's just like, this is yeah. the actual, like, like the newest earth on the planet, but it's still ancient. And it's like, where at on the big island are you? And lower Puna. 
Oh, you're in Pune, dude. I have such a special connection to that place. We went and uh, I was there for about three weeks and everyone was kind of like warning me about Pune. I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty rough, you know? And uh, I don't know, maybe it was just the Montana in me, but I didn't want to leave. I, Kona wasn't for me. Hilo was not really mm-hmm. for me. Uh, there was something about that Pune area that I really liked. I, you know, Alaska is similar too, mm-hmm. where it's like you meet really nice people and you're like, either that dude's a rugged individualist or he might be on the run for murder. I don't know. Either <laughs> way, he's nice. Right. You know, right. there's, there's something cool about that. Yeah, I've traveled all over the world, but this island really called me. And the moment I stepped foot on this island, I was like, oh, right. This is home. This is home. And I feel like there's... Yeah, I love that. There's people... That's great that you're in Pune. Yeah, people I feel like either get crazier here or, you know, this is like really high poverty rates here. I got here. It was like the most abundant I've ever been in my life. It's just like literally we're on top of so much magma flowing up from the center of the earth, like right underneath us. That's a lot of energy. So I think it's like it can either spin you out. It's either you get like toppled by the wave or you actually catch the best wave of your life here, you know, and like like really taught me what it means to actually, first of all, make peace with impermanence, channel a lot of life force energy into a vision that you want to create and what it means to like be on this like spectrum of like creation versus destruction. It's like the same coin, different sides of the same coin, you know, the went through the lava flow yeah. two, two years ago. It was like super intense. Yeah. Yeah. I actually wrote Remember Ja in Pune. Uh, oh. This is where Trevor and I first met. Oh, yeah. sweet. Uh, it was actually, yeah, a conversation that him and I had at Uncle Robert's. Oh, that's just down the road from me. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sweet. Awesome. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you wanted to add into this conversation? No, I just hope everyone likes the new record. It's, yeah, I sure like it. It's my favorite thing I've ever made. So I hope everybody's enjoying it. Hmm. Um, But yeah, you know, I just, I would encourage everyone to do, you know, my whole vibe right now is just riding, you know, like you just said, the wave, I just am, uh, I have no no agenda with my music um, or my art right now. I'm just kind of uh, riding it uh, or letting it ride me, whichever way that that may be, but I'm... uh, yeah, I just, I, I just am. At, I'm at the best place that I've ever been, and and I think more good art is going to continue to come from it. Um, yeah, and then I just, I hope everybody's here for it. Mm. Awesome. Thank you so much. I love the new album. Highly recommend it. And I'm so curious, actually, total random side note. Is it like when people listen to your music on Spotify, is that like financially beneficial or do you prefer people to buy your album? I mean, obviously it's better if people buy, but like, how does that work with Spotify? I just, I do all right from streaming. Um, You know, I was actually, yeah, why I was so blessed to just kind of chill during, uh, during COVID. I wasn't really in any sort of panic. Um, but really, I don't even, I don't even care, man. Just knowing that people are listening to it, like, I don't, yeah, I don't, whatever platform anyone wants to listen to it on, just listen to it and let it into your lives and make stories with it, you know? Like, to me, yeah, to me, that's the coolest thing ever is like, you know, um, if it can be the soundtrack for something, you know, mm-hmm. it, I, I still tell Trevor all the time, 
you know, who's one of my best friends. I just am like, dude, you have no idea. Your album, every time, every place, everywhere, or I think that's what it's called. I was like, dude, that was, when I was in Nepal, that was all I listened to. You know, I can't hear those songs and not go to that place. So yeah, however anyone wants to listen to it, just let it be a soundtrack for whatever you're doing. That's so wonderful. Any parting like words of advice, words of wisdom? Man, uh, yeah, just keep it real and be nice to people. Just keep it real and be nice to people. That's the best I got right now. Yeah, I think that's pretty damn good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- thank you so much for having me on. That was a delightful conversation. Yeah, thank you so much, Drew. I'm, I'm grateful to have this time with you. Your music has played a big inspiration in my life as well. So thank you. It's, it's woven into the story of my life. I'm glad we got to connect. We're talking about coming out there. So once everything is fully, fully calmed down, we'll, we'll, I will definitely make sure that our agent gets oh, us down. Oh, that would be great. Up. Yes. Come visit. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Thanks, Drew. Aloha. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. If you've been enjoying the show, I would so appreciate it if you would share it with a friend or share one of your favorite episodes on social media or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to leave me a review, I am now sharing iTunes reviews on my social media on Instagram at D, and I am tagging people's accounts and giving some shout outs to the people who have been leaving me reviews. So if you'd like to hop onto iTunes and leave a review and just send me a DM on Instagram at D, I would be happy to feature you in one of my Instagram stories. If you'd like to be in touch with me about anything at all, please feel free to reach out through my website at livefreelauraD.com. So I'm going to be leaving you with one of my all-time favorite songs by Satsang called Remember Jaw. And as Drew just mentioned, you know, I just found out that this song came through for him just down the road from me here in Lower Puna on the Big Island of Hawaii. So that just makes it a little more special. Once again, my name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. Until next time. I said it's time, and I know that without a doubt, the spirit in us all is trying to break out. But this is your time, this is my time to illuminate because we were made to shine. Divinity by law in our DNA They lied but we saw truth anyway This is divine recognition for this time of remission Time change mission said you have my permission To be your light let no man dim See your sight is not original sin I said you came in the same way that you will go And that's with love and with righteousness Heed to the flow but I heard it all before, yes, what the man said Never held it in my heart, but I held it in my head But then I saw that, that it isn't just suggestion It's spiritual law to love all, serve all, and remember Jah And so we love all, serve all, and remember Jah Love all, serve all, and remember Jah 
so we love all, serve all, and remember Ja. Love all, serve all, and remember Ja. That's what it is, so tell your parents and your kids that they should not miss The time is now, the question's how we look for each other in answers Singers and dancers will lead the way, been led astray But now we have answered the calling and Babylon is falling Proud to be inside the flow that no man is stopping I must stand tall, Tahu is watching So is my family and so is my tribe Mustn't seek vanity, must seek to be wise Must seek to be wise, yeah but I heard it all before, yes, what the man said Never held it in my heart, but I held it in my head It isn't just suggestion, it's spiritual law To love all, serve all, and remember Jah So we love all, serve all, and remember Jah Love all, serve all, and remember Jah Love all, serve all, and remember Ja. Love all, serve all, and remember Ja. As they come through, dreaming on the daily of what will become To the people on the planet, will they just stay numb? Or will they awake, for goodness sake? Be careful what you take, cause there's life at stake Calm and connected as I take my dive Story planned out when the moment arrives I said choices through voices, my spirit rejoices In moments like this, we feel life's kiss Wrapped up tight in her warm embrace Love overflowing, no more rat race these are the times we were meant to grow from You say that it's beautiful, it takes one to know one Made out of love, that's what you are Made out of love, and you come from the stars Made out of love, and you come from the stars But I heard it all before, yes, what the man said Never held it in my heart, but I held it in my head But then I saw and that it isn't just suggestion, it's spiritual law To love all, serve all, and remember Jah And so we love all, serve all, and remember Jah Love all, serve all, and remember Jah And so we love all, serve all, and remember Jah Love all, serve all, and remember Jah Ha